Welcome to Landon Wall and Witty on the road to Qatar. I'm Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining us. We've got reaction from Landon Donovan, Chris Whittingham, and me to the U.S. men's national team's 3-0 win over Honduras on World Cup qualifying match day 11. Landon's in San Diego. Witty's in South Florida. I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota where I'm writing for my Substack newsletter, which you should sign up for free or paid at grantwall.com to get my posts in your inbox. Guys, it's good to be with you. How are you? Warmer than you. Relieved. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, relieved and warm. Yeah, I mean, it's three points for the U.S. Uh, Three very much needed points as the games are fewer and fewer in qualifying here. All three goals coming on set pieces, the first U.S. set pieces goals of this entire tournament, and lots to talk about here, but Landon, let's start with you. What are your initial thoughts? Uh, I'm exhausted. I don't know about (laughs) you guys. Just emotionally, I'm exhausted. I had some buddies over tonight. Fortunately, seven minutes in this time, it was the other way, the other feeling um, of happiness versus last time, seven minutes in against Canada, so... Great start to the game. The longer that game went zero zero, the worse it was gonna the worse it was gonna be for, for us. So credit to Weston McKinney, who is hands down, unequivocally the best player the US has at the moment. And thank God for him because he he has single handedly, in my opinion, just taken this team on his back and said, I'm gonna lead us to the World Cup. And uh, you know, this is you say the road to Qatar, it looks like that road to Qatar got very, very, very short um, tonight. So it looks like we're on our way. Well, we're still watching the progress of the Mexico-Panama game. Before we logged on here, I said Mexico had scored. That goal has been disallowed. So it's nil-nil after 51 minutes. Actually, Uh, let's not go. We want Mexico. Right, yeah, we want Mexico. It's the one night It's the one night we want Mexico to win. But uh, so we don't know kind of what the picture is yet, but this was a massive set of three points. And I would probably say, even though I really liked how the U.S. played against Mexico, this was the most comprehensive win, I would say, of this qualifying campaign. Honduras and the U.S. are battling the conditions, but really Honduras just offered nothing. They they did not create barely a chance. Matt Turner's only goal tonight was to not get hypothermia. Uh, And you you look at the way that the U.S. performed on set pieces, taking advantage of a poorly organized Honduras defense. And I was surprised to hear you say, Landon, that you kind of emotionally sweated that because I don't know what happened to me. I had like this sweeping wave of column come over me before kickoff. Even though the lineup featured seven changes, even the conditions, I just kind of felt like the U.S. had this. And they really did from start to finish. As well, they should have. <laughs> it's right. Honduras. Honduras are by a million miles the worst team, but still a, a comprehensive performance and a great result, of course. Yeah, you know, I, I really thought Kellen Acosta filling in for Tyler Adams had a terrific game in a few ways, right? Because his, his set-piece deliveries were great on all three of those goals, uh, the, and he almost scored one. Uh, trying to deceive the keeper on a free kick that everyone thought he was going to put into the box to a teammate. And he just had a really good game overall, I thought. Really confident on the ball, smart passing, covered a lot of ground. And Kellen Acosta has had a really, I don't know, it's been an interesting tournament for him. He hasn't played that much. The thing he's probably stood out the most for was negative stuff in Panama, uh, where he had a pretty rough game there uh, starting. And... 
you know, like this was also the same guy who at the end of the Gold Cup final was delivering great balls for set-piece goals that beat Mexico. So he's had kind of an up-and-down year with the United States men's national team, and I thought this was a huge game for Kellen Acosta, and I thought it was interesting that even when Christian Pulisic comes in, Acosta kept taking the set-piece deliveries, which led to a goal for Christian Pulisic. Yeah, I thought a few things were interesting. When, when Christian came on the field, Walker Zimmerman kept the armband. Mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Um, obviously, Gr- Greg has rotated the armband quite a bit, so not overly surprising, but that was interesting. But also to your point, yeah, I thought Kellen and Weston were the two best players on the field. Um, forget about the deliveries, which were, they were just they were just good, good enough, right, to give the U.S. chances to create. And that's all you need when, when you are physically superior, which for the most part the U.S. were, and just organizationally superior, just put the ball in an area where your guys can go get it. And I thought he and Weston, again, were the two best players on the field. But also, Kellen did a really good job of basically playing the Tyler Adams role. He put out all the fires. He tackled well, made the simple plays. And that kind of performance is the type of performance that helps you win in a World Cup qualifier. And builds as well on the Tyler Adams role because... I do think that, well, I think Tyler Adams is one of the best defensive midfield players in the world in terms of breaking up transitional moments and being a defensive midfielder, which is the name of the position. I do think that Kellen Acosta and other U.S. players are better with pinging passes and keeping the team ticking in midfield. Not to say that Tyler Adams is bad at it. I just don't think that's his greatest skill set. And so I think that we kind of have learned in, as you mentioned, Grant, the up and down arc for Kellen Acosta in the last year, that in games in which the U.S. can have a lot of the ball and he is afforded the time and space to play passes, that those are the sorts of games that suit him. Whereas I think the games where he has struggled is, oddly enough, really the only games that he has started up until now, which are these away qualifiers when you're rotating the team and they're hotly contested and it's about getting stuck in and it's about winning the ball in midfield. Those are the games that I don't think that Kellen Acosta has played well in. So time and space, he works well. And I thought, he, as you mentioned, sensation not only with set piece delivery, but keeping the team moving. There's not really a lot of guys that can switch the point of attack as often as I think this, this U.S. team needs to. And Kellen Acosta kept doing it even in adverse conditions. So in the last podcast, I asked you the question, Landon, should Greg Berhalter drop Christian Pulisic? And... You talked about how at one point Bob Bradley had dropped you and Clint Dempsey during a Gold Cup game. And sure enough, Christian Pulisic got dropped from uh, from this lineup, along with, by the way, other regular starters, Serginio Dest, Eunice Musa, Brendan Aronson. And it seems to me like Greg Berhalter really decided to trust some guys tonight, like Luca De La Torre, uh, Jordan Morris, Acosta, players like that, and they delivered for him. And I think that's got to be a. And, and keep in mind, we know Honduras is not the opponent that some teams are, but still, it was three really important points. How do you feel about Pulisic first? That decision to drop your your biggest star. I don't view it as those guys being dropped. I view it as your depth is only valuable if you use your depth. We are much deeper than Honduras. We are much deeper than El Salvador and Costa Rica and Panama. Maybe not Canada, maybe not Mexico, but close enough. 
And the only value is if you use it. And so I'm not sure Greg and his staff went into this and said, "Mm, you know, Christian's had two below average games. We're not going to play him because of that. I think it could have been the plan all along. Christian's not played games in three, three plus weeks. I think playing him three games in six days is dangerous from an injury standpoint, but also it's it's emotionally challenging and physically it's challenging. So, And it's not just Christian. There were a lot of other guys. So it's only valuable if you can use it when you need it. And that was an advantage over the Honduran team tonight. We had seven fresh legs and they just didn't have, they didn't have the ability to do that. And I know we'll get into this, but it makes me think already about the next three games, right? And how do you approach those three games? Because those three are all going to be absolute wars. Um, if Costa Rica are still alive in the third game, I mean, all bets are off, right? That is, that's a coin flip. And so you go away to Mexico, home to Panama, which are will be playing for their World Cup qualifying lives. It will be the biggest game those players have ever played in. And how do you manage it in the right way so that you go into Panama and Costa Rica able to get something out of it if you don't win in Aztec or get a point in Aztec. And historically, we haven't, right? So you have to be realistic about that too. So that'll be really fascinating to watch how that plays out. And Grant, I, I want to kind of talk about the, the the framing of your question, which I thought is is the correct one, which is the other six guys got rotated and Christian Pulisic, because of who he is, I don't want to say, I, I, I don't want to agree with you. I, I, I think I agree with you, Landon, that he wasn't dropped, but it does carry more significance when he doesn't start. And when he comes off the bench, he gets a goal, and that's obviously huge for his confidence, but it is kind of an indication that, I, you know, Weston McKenney played in all three games because he's doing a job and it's working. If Christian Pulisic was playing well in the first two games, I don't think he would have been on the bench from t- from the start tonight. Even yeah, Tim but Wade, yeah, he, no, but he's also not fit, right? So physically, Tim, he's Tim not Wade play- isn't either though. And yeah. although although he didn't start yeah. against Canada, he did start tonight. Yeah, no, fair, okay, but it. I mean, it's hard to play three in a row. Is hard. To- totally is agree. Travel. Totally agree. I just think that like because of the fact that he's captain the team, that he is the leader of this era. I think it is significant when he's dropped. And the one thing that I did notice tonight is that that might not entirely be his fault because I think you saw tonight there was a real imbalance in how much more the U.S. attacked down the right and how much more successful it was than down the left. Jordan Morris put in a fairly anonymous performance, as did Anthony Robinson, who's been good at times with the national team. And maybe there's just an imbalance right now that the team attacks better down the right for whatever reason, whether it's the fact that Weston plays on that side and that just is the area of the pitch that is working better right now. But either way, I do think it carries significance when Christian is on the bench and the fact that after the game, that's a talking point, just I think goes to show that Pulisic does like his performances and his status carries a weight above everyone else's. And perhaps what Weston McKenney has done in this window and has done for the last couple months for Juve and in the national team will put him on that level to where it's now Weston and Christian's team. But for the most part, this team is very often viewed through the lens of Christian Pulisic. And I think tonight was another example of that. Yeah, that's fair. Let's talk about the weather because that was the big talking point coming into the game. And basically it was exactly what was forecast, maybe even slightly colder, um, you know, right around zero below zero wind chill minus 15 in the end, it wasn't the great equalizer 
that some might have suspected it could have been. That said, I, I do feel like the U.S., I always thought the U.S. was going to get three points from this game. I still didn't understand and still don't understand the choice of, of feeling like they needed to come here. And we do have reports from the Honduran media that they had two players come out of the game, the goalkeeper and Romel Kyoto, and be treated for hypothermia, which isn't great. And Greg Borhalter was asked about this after the game, and and he said that, well, look, you know, we gave cold weather gear uh, to the Honduran team, and when we've gone to Central America and Mexico over the years, we've been forced to play in really hot conditions that have caused cramping and, and things like that. So that's still a talking point after this game, and there's a lot of opinions out there I still don't. I hope the U.S. doesn't do something like this again. That's that's where I am on it. I know Landon, you're in a different place though. No, I'm waiting for all the woke Twitter crowd and you to eat some crow <laughs> and say this was. Listen, would they have won it at Dignity Health Sports Park uh, in L.A. three zero at least? Yes. Would we have won at USD's Torero Stadium here in San Diego three plus zero? Yes, but. I believe traveling about an hour versus the whatever, six, seven, who knows, connections that the Honduran team, plus dealing with the elements was a big advantage. And by the way, this whole, listen, I I hope Kyoto and the goalkeeper are okay. Um, Absolutely. But nobody in the history of qualifying has ever said, I hope the U.S. players are okay after Honduras scheduled the game at 2 p.m., in the middle of July for our qualifier, right? Like th- that, th- you're getting no sympathy from me on that. Um, there's absolutely zero th- sympathy coming this way. So, and that being said, I do hope the players are okay because we don't want anything serious to happen. But I, I, I said to you guys before, I said to my a lot of people who were sending me the same text, what the hell is the U.S. team doing? Why would they play in Minnesota? I said, guys, can we just calm down? see how the game plays out. If the U.S. lose and it's the ultimate equalizer, fine, that could happen. And that, that would have been a bad decision. But the reality is it helped. It helped us. It hurt Honduras. And we won the game. And and that's all that matters. And so could we have won the same way elsewhere? Of course. But we, we did what we needed to do. And I still think it was the right decision. I actually think that what you said, Landon, which is that no one sheds a tear for the U.S. is a compelling argument. And like I do think that you know, the the desire for other teams to make the U.S. play in the middle of the afternoon in September in 90 degrees plus humidity is their competitive advantage. The only thing that you, you read the socials, a lot of the players after the game is that I don't think the players felt like it was a competitive advantage for them. Like when Matt Turner has to run to the bench to get a blanket on for 60 seconds while there's an injury timeout because he is that freezing cold. And, you know, Christian, every extremity on Christian Pulisic's head is beat red because of how cold it is. And, you know, they're they're tweeting the Jack Nicholson covered in icicles gif after the game. Like, I, I don't think that they enjoyed it very much. So that, that would be my only contention is I don't think the U.S. enjoyed it. I also think it slowed them down quite a bit because the, the field was very dry and there were moments where the ball just didn't move because, I mean, and look, fair play to that grounds, you know, team for even having it that nice. But I, I just don't think it was the advantage for the U.S. that they would have hoped it was. They had to turn the Minnesota Vikings to get cold weather gear. Like, <laughs> I, I, I just don't think that it like it helped them. Like, they're not they're not used to this either, you know? 
Yeah, but playing in Honduras in early September on a terrible field is not necessarily an advantage for Honduras either. It's what is the disadvantage for your opponent, right? Mm. And that's the, you know, that's the Canada. You think Canada wants to play on a tiny field in Hamilton with all the good players they have? No, they knew that was a disadvantage for the U.S. team. And so they did it. And that's what teams all throughout qualifying do. Mexico could play at sea level somewhere against us. They play at 7,000 feet altitude. That's a bit of an advantage for them because their players are used to it. But it's a massive disadvantage for everyone else who comes there. Bolivia do it in La Paz at 12,000 feet altitude for everybody else who comes there. That's not because they like it and the players don't like it, but it's a massive disadvantage. So I, I just... I think too much was made out of it. I think people were just, you know, sort of looking for a reason to to get up in arms about something. In the end, whether they played there or Jacksonville or on Mars, I think the result would have been the same. Couple points from my end here. First, woke Twitter crowd is uh, <laughs> is. I think someone's been practicing in front of a mirror for uh, for that speech. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> and and. It, it, it's second. I mean, look, um, it, it is what it is, and and, and I, I've also had hypothermia, by the way, before once in my life. I, I can tell you the whole story about it was a Boy Scout campout in New Mexico. Hypothermia is no joke. I believe by the it. Way. No, I believe um, it. But um, yeah, uh, we'll see how those guys are. Uh, obviously, hoping for the best there, and I, I want to like. I haven't seen Luca Della Torre play that much at club level. I don't watch a lot of the Dutch league. Maybe I should start a little bit more. He's with Heracles. I really liked his feet in this game. I liked what he did and what he brought. And I wonder if we're going to see even more of him potentially moving forward. Yeah, how do you, though, how do you really get him on the field more with all the guys you have to think that are ahead of him on the depth chart, right? So... Unless he really, really turns it on in the next few months for his club, um, he's very much going to be a bubble guy for the World Cup, and he's going to have to have a really good club season this year, and then starting into next year as we go into the winter to make the team. But um, I thought he was good tonight. I thought he was energy was good. His feet were good. He was clean. He not spectacular, but a good performance. And listen, all you can do is perform when you're provided the opportunity. Right. And so was he spectacular? No, but he did a good job. And that's all you can do. Every time you get a chance, you got to perform. He's got the technical quality, I think, to drive the U.S. forward. And that, I think, is probably a skill that they just don't have enough of sometimes in midfield. And he, I thought, demonstrated that. It took him a while to get settled in. I thought for the first 15 minutes, it wasn't great. But then he grew into the game. But to Landon's point, you're absolutely right in terms of, you know, he plays for a team that's fifth bottom of the Eredivisie right now, which, you know, the bottom half of that league is not exactly filled with great teams. So you know, he, he will have to step it up at club level. And I, I do think as well, though, that that depth chart in central midfield, all of a sudden, like I, I do think he has a chance to make the team because you have... Adams, McKinney, Musa as your top three. Acosta's four, and then who else is in that central in those central midfield positions? You would say is definitively ahead of him. I, I'm not sure that there's really anybody. So I would probably put him fifth in the pecking order, which is probably good enough to make the proverbial plane to Qatar. Yeah, maybe. It's also a very fluid situation, right? Because I would have told you that Walker Zimmerman 
might not be on the plane to Qatar just sure. a couple of months ago. And now when I see Walker Zimmerman playing the way he has, being the captain, um, tonight at least, uh, is he the best U.S. center back at this point? I, I would say he is indispensable at this point. I, mean, I completely incredible. agree. Yeah, and no, I completely agree. And I think I really like it because it was the partnership in, in Cincinnati for the Mexico game. Him and Miles Robinson, I think, are a really good tandem, particularly yeah. when they're going to head to the World Cup and the goal is, you know, if, if they do, forgive me. I, I don't mean to jinx that. Uh, like the goal is defending. The goal is being a good defensive central partnership, being good on set pieces, Zimmerman in particular, I, I, from defensive set pieces for sure, I think he, he can be unleashed as even more of a weapon from an attacking set piece point of view, uh, both for club and country. He scored tonight. It was kind of a second ball, loose ball, and you just try and turn it in and smack it into the back of the net. But I think Zimmerman brings a skill set where I, I'm not sure that, again, because of the, as you mentioned, he wasn't in the top of the pecking order at the beginning of the of, of qualifying because I don't think he has a lot of the skills that Greg Berhalter wants in a center back. I think he kind of wants the best version of John Brooks from a technical quality standpoint, from a passing standpoint, but you cannot ignore the performances that he's put in. He deserves the position that he has is probably one of the first names on the team sheet. So big picture here, let's look at where the U.S. is. And obviously we're recording this while games are still going on, but the the calculus is still the same as kind of what it, what it has been. If the U.S. can win at home against Panama in the next window, they will likely qualify automatically for the World Cup. The two games away at Mexico in the first game and in the final game at Costa Rica, the U.S. doesn't need points from those games. Is that and for sure, Grant, by the way? I'm just I'm trying to do the with math a, with with a hundred percent certainty, but sure. like it looks really good for the U.S. They need to get three points tonight at home. If they can get three in Orlando against Panama, they should be in the World Cup. And and you're right, that does present some really interesting possibilities for what Greg Berhalter does with his team for those games. Because okay. The second game is the, the, the one you really need three points from against Panama. And the second game of the window is also the game that the U.S. has played the worst in. Basically every window. It's, it's, it's really frustrating at this point, whether it's a home game, whether it's an away game. It's been poor performances in the second game of these three-game windows. And we, we do know for certain that both the U.S. and Mexico will not be qualified when they play each other in the next game. And so that game is going to be just a battle. And yeah, it's I, I, I can't wait until we don't have three game windows, by the way. I think three game windows, it's it's a lot to ask of players and teams. And I, I don't really like it. And hopefully it won't continue. It shouldn't because of COVID uh, is the reason we're doing this now. But but that's going to be a fascinating window next month and it's just right now i think u.s fans are, are probably feeling much better with three points in the bag tonight than they were heading into the game after the loss to canada it was crucial and we said it before the game like was it a quote-unquote absolutely mathematically a must win maybe not but it was absolutely a must win so just looking because so costa rica play home to canada right because Right now, the U.S. will be, if this result stands, they'll be three points clear of Panama if Panama-Mexico finish 0-0, but they have a massive goal differential 
advantage, I think plus seven on Panama. So very unlikely Panama could make that up, even if the U.S. lost both of the other two and beat Panama. So Costa Rica is the next team you look at. They play home to Canada, away to El Salvador, who are, will be eliminated, and then they have the U.S. game. So you could make a good case that Costa Rica will win both of those games. Canada needs something out of that first game, maybe, but Canada are going to be in. So they also play Jamaica at home. Canada does. So they're they're going to be in regardless. So the question is, how do you approach, I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts, how do you approach this next three-game window? And do you really think about putting a lot of your eggs into the Panama basket versus putting all your eggs into the Mexico basket and seeing what happens and then moving from there? It's a great question because I do think if you were to look at it strategically, you would just put everything into the Panama game, but that leaves you with no margin for error. So let's say you field a team similar to the one you fielded this evening against Honduras with, you know, Jordan Morris in the team and, you know, and, and Tim Weah, but also like not Musa McKenney Adams, not, you know, like your, your full complement of guys, no Serginho Dest. And you say, all right, we're going to go all in on the Panama game. Well, then if you lose the Mexico game, then that only heightens the pressure even more. And then if you don't get maximum points against Panama, then everything is riding in, in Costa Rica. And we mentioned on the last podcast that the U.S. has done really poorly in Costa Rica. You don't really want to go into that game needing something. So I think with three games to go, you say to, to your guys, look, I understand you guys have your club situation, club situations to worry about, but best 11, be prepared, every single one of you to play 270 minutes. And if you don't, then, you know, enjoy the rest that you do get. But I think you put everything in the Mexico game because they, even though there's a little less than 50 minutes, 15 minutes left to play in their game tonight, have not looked great against Panama. They have not really looked great in the entirety of qualifying. They're vulnerable. You can go there and get a point. You can go there and even maybe get three if you put in a really good performance. So try and try and win that game. And that way the Panama pressure is a little bit less and you can go out and just beat them. And if you beat them, then you're probably done and dusted. So I think it's put everything into every game. And if you need something at the end of it and you got to, you know, turn to subs, it probably won't look great. But I think you have to go all guns blazing into this next game and trying to get maximum points in those first two games and be done with it. In the words of the great Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. (laughs) And I would be really disappointed if the U.S. didn't put out a good lineup at Mexico. Because I do think points can be had there, including three. Yeah, yeah. Mexico's struggling at home. And they're even well, talking they've not they're... They've not scored a goal at home in the last, whatever, 167 minutes and counting, right? So And now they're having a discussion down there about like, well, so many of our players play in Europe. Should we stop playing in the Azteca in the altitude? Because that's not an advantage for us at, at this point. So yeah, I think Mexico... Is, is a beatable team and that would just that would break them if the US won a fourth straight and potentially even qualified for the World Cup in the Azteca I mean think about that I do want to ask you Landon as we wind down here Chris has a uh, uh, a recording we want to play for you. And since we're, <laughs> you and since love we're, this, huh? <laughs> yeah so since we're in a good mood here after after a US win I want to ask you if you remember the Confederations Cup final press conference the day before in 2009. So the day before the final, 
And Michael Jackson had passed away. I do remember and that. I I remember this because I was sitting in the front row of this press conference and like slumping in my chair as this question continued to get asked about Michael <laughs> Jackson. So you're in the press conference. Chris, can you play the audio? I'm going to make you a question, Donovan, not about uh, the game, but about uh, the moment that the uh, US is now crossing, the fact that uh, uh, Michael Jackson is dead. And you're too young for for this. I'd like to know from, from your team, what the impact does uh, Michael Jackson's death has in the team? And if you are going to try to pay tribute tomorrow when playing Brazil to Michael Jackson? Uh, I was probably a little too young to fully embrace the the height of the Michael Jackson era. Uh, most of us were, but we obviously understand how big of a a star he was and what a great entertainer he was. Um, as far as tomorrow goes, you know, I want to win the game, um, and. If you know, I don't know if if someone will pay tribute or do anything, but um, obviously we're not taking away from who he was as a man. But we uh, we're here we're here to win the game, and uh, we have a lot of respect for Michael Jackson. But uh, we want to win the game tomorrow. One is this the most ridiculous question you ever got in a press conference? And how do you like figure out what to say? This is the day before a giant final, and. I, even being the moment in that room, I was like, what is this all about? That was a very good political, politically correct answer by me. Um, <laughs> I'm you're, not sure. you're media trained well. I'm not sure I would, I would have the same answer today. I would have said something really <laughs> stupid. Yes, it was the most uh, interesting question ever asked. And I guess it makes you realize that maybe it was way more of an issue or a a story for the rest of the world than it was for us and clearly it's like a sad day but a lot of people pass away every day right and i was i was also too young to really grow up in the heart you, you were probably more impacted in that way grant but yeah that was an interesting uh that was an interesting an interesting moment my my first album i ever bought in 1982 was Thriller. So very much in my wheelhouse. But even by... I do want to ask a, a follow-up because like, you get like a briefing before you go into those press conferences. Like, <laughs> hey, here's what they might ask about. Right. Like, was there, there... There's no way that the U.S. press officers are like, you might get asked about Michael Jackson. Have an answer ready, right? Yeah, it was like your first, you know, first final for the U.S. and blah, 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 talk, you know, they might ask you about Brazil and this dumb thing you said three years ago in a press conference, but it was never, uh, they might ask about Michael Jackson's death. What was the dumb thing? Oh, there was lots of dumb things. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not enough time for that. My favorite thing also, too, is Bob Bradley. They kept asking yeah. these, these journalists questions about Michael Jackson, and Bob Bradley finally goes... I had a lot of respect for Michael Jackson's like, yeah, like, and, and Bob, Bob was so serious. 
<laughs> and, and like Bob's a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and I think he made some sort of comparison or or or, or something. But Bob actually took some heat off of the players from having to keep answering the questions by finally sort of jumping in there. But truly one of the strangest things ever. Uh, and then when Clint Dempsey scored in the final, he did a crotch grab to, I to mean, honor I'm, Michael Clint, Jackson. Clint might have just been doing that just because. You know, <laughs> you know, might have nothing to do with Michael Jackson. He's probably pissed off at his teammates or something. So. Just, an, just an average football match for Clinton Dempsey on that celebration. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, good news, guys. Mexico scored. Yes. Raul Jimenez so, from the penalty spot. I mean, it was a, it was a soft penalty. Soft. Yeah. Surprisingly Normally not good news when they score, but in this instance, we're happy. So we're four points clear now. So on that note, good news for the U.S., at least in terms of Panama. Uh, I think it's going to be in a dogfight now for the, the playoff spot with Costa Rica. So uh, three more match days left in the 14-match day odyssey of the octagonal. We'll do this again in March. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks, as always. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.